It is a pleasure to be worshiping with you as we are continuing in the Red Letter Challenge. And as I said at the start of our service, it's really today that the challenge begins in earnest. Because over the past five days, we've just been reading and getting introduced to the main themes of the challenge. But today is the first day that we actually not only are to read the words of Jesus, but put them into practice. And so this morning, I want to fo- start by focusing on that which is most essential, that which is most foundational when it comes to walking with Jesus. But I think it's only right that we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do indeed give you thanks that you have given us the gift of your word. And Lord, that that word is given that we might grow. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that we wouldn't simply be hearers of the word, but that we would also be doers of the word. And so, Lord, open our minds, not just so that we would understand, but also open our hearts so that your word would take root and bear fruit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that the words that I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think together as we meditate on that word, Lord, that that would all be pleasing in your sight. O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I was uh, graduating from middle school and going into high school, I was a little bit pudgy. Now, you wouldn't be able to tell it by looking at me being how slim I am now. Uh, but, but honestly, coming out of middle school, going into high school, I, I had a shape that resembled that of a very delicious marshmallow. And I decided that I was going to go into high school, and I, I didn't want to be the pudgy, awkward kid. I, I decided I wanted to go into high school, and I wanted to be the slim, awkward kid. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go out for sports. i got to do something to kind of get into shape, to, to get it physically fit. So I, I decided that going into my freshman year, I was going to go out, and I was going to try out for a sports team. And now, I knew that basketball wasn't an option, okay? I was short, and to play basketball, you need to be able to dribble the ball, and I can't do that, so I wasn't going to play basketball. And uh, I knew that baseball also wasn't an option because you need to be able to hit the ball, and I couldn't do that, so baseball wasn't going to be my thing. And I knew that football also wasn't an option because, uh, number one, you have to throw and catch a ball. I can't do those. I mean, really, if there's a sport involving a ball, I'm just not the guy for that. But on top of it, probably the only thing that I could do in football was to basically be, you know, the practice dummy. And, and that didn't really sound too, too good to me either. But there was one sport that looking at it, I was like, I, I can definitely do that. And that was cross country. And I was just like, cross country? I mean, come on. How hard can cross country be? Like, you just have to run, right? I, mean, I spent most of my life running. On, on playgrounds, I was running. Coming home from school, I was running from bullies, but running. I knew how to run. I knew how to put like, my left foot in front of my right foot in a you know, fast pace, relatively. And it was great because the first day I showed up for, for cross country, I mean, this was all that was expected for tryouts. The coach looked at me and said, can you run? I said, can I run? Yes, I can totally run. And he's just like, cool. Why don't you join us for our first practice? That was it. I was like, yes, this is my sport. I know how to run. Until I got into practice and I realized there was a lot more to cross-country running than I thought. Because about halfway through the week, I had shin splints. For those of you who know what shin splints are, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know, let me tell you. Shin splints is a condition that occurs when you suddenly go from one level of intensity, in my case none, to a higher level of intensity in terms of working out. And basically like the ligaments that are on the the shins of your leg and the bone starts to get some stress and some strain. 
So that every time you walk, you get this like stabbing pain in your shins. And I remember like halfway through that first week, my mom was just laughing at me as I tried to come down the two steps into our kitchen. Because it went a little something like this. I would kind of come up to those two steps and I would kind of look at the kitchen and I'd look at the step and then I'd do one of these. And she just like busted out laughing as I was hobbling around our house like an 83-year-old man. I apologize if any of you are 83. (laughs) But it was really painful. It was very uncomfortable. See, I quickly learned that although I thought I knew what went into cross-country, I had a lot to learn. That although I thought I knew what I was doing, the truth was I had no idea. And right there in that first week, I'd already taken myself out of the team. Because I was running in a way that I wasn't supposed to. The reason I share that is because I think that that's the way many of us actually approach the Christian life. We think we know what we're doing. Like, oh yeah, I know, I know what it means to be a Christian. I know what it means to be a religious. Being a Christian is about going to church, right? Yeah, just go to church and, and maybe I occasionally read my Bible. Uh, maybe I pray every once in a while and, and do some good stuff and I, and I keep the rules, right? There's like 10 of them or something like that, 10 commandments. Keep those 10 commandments. I'm good. I'm a Christian. But the reality is, is that approach is kind of like my approach to cross country. We think we know what's going on, but Jesus has some news for us. In fact, he says it really well in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you know, on that day when I come again, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's kind of a terrifying verse, isn't it? Jesus is essentially saying you can do all the religious stuff and still miss it. You can do Christian-y things and still not arrive at the place that you were called to, still miss the entire point of the journey. And so this morning, as we're beginning this Red Letter Challenge in earnest, as we're going to start putting those words of Jesus into practice, I want us to have a moment where we simply reset where we look back at that which is most foundational and ask the question, what is it that we need in order to run the race well? And to do that, I want us to actually look at that moment when Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, all the Gospels have kind of their own version of the calling. And and I'm glad that they each have their own version of the calling because they each kind of illuminate a different facet of it. But, but typically, it goes something like this. Matthew, talking about the calling of the twelve, says this in his gospel. It says, And Jesus called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is really interesting because basically the way that Matthew tells the story, Jesus calls out like 12 12 of his disciples to kind of be his inner circle. All right? And, And he calls them by name and then he says, and now I want you to go. So Jesus calls them and he immediately sends them. He calls them and he immediately sends them to go out and preach and to heal and to cast out demons. Now, I want you to think for a moment. If, If we were simply to go off of Matthew's account, imagine you're in that crowd, right? And Jesus calls your name. 
He says, I want you to be part of my inner circle. And right now, I want you to go and I want you to preach sermons the way I preach sermons. I want you to heal people the way I heal people. I want you to cast out demons the way I cast out demons. Now go. How confident would you feel that you could do that? I don't know about you, but I would be very, very intimidated. I'd be like, are you serious? Preach a sermon the way? You're like the best preacher ever. There's no way that I could do that. Or, or heal people? Dude, I have a hard time putting on a Band-Aid by myself. There's no way I can go out and heal people. Are you crazy? Which is why I'm glad that we have more than just Matthew's account. Because one of the things that we see with gospel writers is, is sometimes they like skip over certain details to focus on other details, right? And then there are other gospel writers who really want to zero in on those details that, in, uh, that the other gospels skipped over. It gives us a more well-rounded picture of what's going on in Jesus' life, which is why I actually want us to look at another calling. Because honestly, I think for many of us, it, we, we kind of approach the Christian life as if we're reading Matthew. We hear the call of Jesus, but we feel so ill-equipped and so terrified that we stay seated on the sidelines. We never actually get in the game. But I think if we slow down and we look at another account, if we look at Mark's account, we see that there's a lot more going on in this call than we initially thought. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Open to Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, I'm going to read Mark 3, 13 and following, and I want to see if you can catch what's different in Mark's account of the calling of the twelve that wasn't present in Matthew. I want you to see if you can notice it. It's very subtle. But here we are, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and following. It says, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. And then it goes on, and then Mark goes on to name them. Now, two different accounts of the call, they, they're both very, very similar, but did you catch what's different in Mark's accounts? I'm going to read it a little bit more slowly. I want to see if you notice the difference. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Only a couple of words that are different, but a couple of words that make all the difference. First thing that we see in this short passage in the calling of the twelve is that Jesus calls those whom he desires. See, before Jesus asks his disciples to do anything for him, he simply invites them to do life with him. Before Jesus ever calls his disciples to do anything for him, he simply invites them to do life with him. And I love the fact that this word desired is used, those whom he desired. Because that word in the Greek is a beautiful word of relationship. It does mean desire, but there's also a sense of delight, of joy, and of longing. What's being communicated here is that there's a deep uh, desire for friendship and companionship. And really, that's the first thing that Jesus is calling them to, is simply to be friends with him. Simply to do life together with him. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that for a moment, but, but the, the same is true for each of us when we're called by Jesus. He calls us because he wants to be with us. Do you not know that, that you are deeply desired and loved by Jesus? Before you ever do anything for him, he simply wants to do life with you. And it's knowing that love of Jesus that I think makes discipleship even possible. I mean, think about it for a second. What these 12 men are going to go on to do with their lives is they're going to face some incredible hardships. They're going to go out and they're going to be poor. They're going to be rejected. They're going to be beaten. They're ultimately going to be executed because they desired to bring good news to those who didn't even want to hear it. It's a hard life that he's calling to them to, a life that's going to stretch them and get them out of their comfort zone. And I think the only reason they were able to do it is because they knew that Jesus loved them. And they wanted to do life with him, no matter what that meant. That kind of love really is transformative. I think that we see it in our relationships with other people. You know, there's those people that you love, that, that because you love them, you're willing to kind of do stuff with them and for them that you wouldn't have done on your own, right? I know that this is certainly true of me when it comes to my marriage. See, when I married my wife, I had a very clear idea of what like the honeymoon vacation would be like. And the, the image that I had of the honeymoon vacation was really this one, of really sitting on a beach, right? Somewhere tropical, you know, soaking in the sun, enjoying that drink, maybe someplace all-inclusive, right? So that when it gets too hot, I can just slip into a pool and like float up to the bar and order whatever I want. So I was like, this, this is honeymoon vacation. This is vacation in my view of what vacation should be. But now my wife. No, in her mind, this was our honeymoon suite. And it didn't even look that good. Our honeymoon suite was a tent. And yeah, it was, it was warm. We went someplace warm, but more like central Illinois in June warm. And, uh, and, and there was certainly wildlife down there, but not like tropical fish, you know, floating amidst a reef. No, more like mosquitoes that look like 747s. And this is what we ended up doing for our honeymoon is going camping. But not just camping, we were going to go biking. And not just leisurely biking, we were going to go at least 40 miles a day. 40 miles a day minimum, you know, along the Illinois River, which, you know, that, that might sound beautiful, but that's where those 747 mosquitoes lived. And we would do this every single day. And then we'd have to come back to our camp where there's no air conditioning, where there's a shower that's kind of okay. And we'd go back into our tent. But here's the thing. How many of you have been to Starved Rock State Park? All right. So do you know what you have to do in order to get to the campsite? You have a two-mile road that you have to navigate. Uphill. That's what we had to do. So after 40 miles, now we got to go uphill to our campsite every single day of our honeymoon. Now, see, Jenny was smart. She waited till the honeymoon because at that point, like, the ink was already dry on the marriage certificate, okay? There's no, like, redos. There's no takebacks. Like, we're stuck with each other. She timed that so well. But I'll be honest, I really, I really do love the, the stories that we have from our honeymoon. I'm glad that I went on that adventure. That was not my choice, but it was a wonderful way to begin our marriage together. And as we've been married, you know, there have been other adventures that we've had gone. There have been culinary adventures. Because, you see, there, there was a, there's a type of food that you couldn't pay me to eat it. And that food was sushi. Because first and foremost, I think sushi is a scam. 
okay? You go to a sushi restaurant, and what happens? This dude brings you this tiny square of fish and is like, $10. And here's what's worse. I'm like, $10? It's raw. You didn't even cook it. Like, what do you mean 10 bucks? This is not worth 10 bucks. You went into your freezer, you brought out some raw fish, you slapped it on a plate, and you want me to pay $10? No way, that's disgusting. There was no way that I was going to eat sushi until one day, come home from work, and my wife very lovingly puts the plate in front of me. She made sushi. And again, she timed it really well. She waited until we had kids. Because then I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at this plate of sushi, and Daddy has to show the kids what it looks like to finish your plate. To eat everything that's set before you. And so here I am doing the thing I never thought I'd do. I'm eating sushi. But I'll tell you something. I love sushi now. I really do. I love, and actually for my wife's birthday this past year, I took her to a sushi restaurant that neither one of us had ever been to before. See, things that I would have never done on my own, I do because I was with the one that I love and the one who loves me. I'm willing to take those steps of faith. I'm willing to be stretched outside my comfort zone because I know I'm with the one who loves me beyond anything else in the world. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to when he invites us to this life of discipleship is first and foremost to know the love that he has for us, that he desires to be with us, that we are precious in his sight. And that enables us to then be obedient to the calling that he gives us as his people. A beautiful promise of what it means to walk with Jesus. And I think that this is part of the reason why many of us so often don't get into the game. That we hear the commands of Jesus and we, we, we give in to fear, we cave, we back off. is because I think we lost the love that we had at first. We've somehow been disconnected from the affection that Jesus has for us. Which is why at the beginning of this challenge, as we are now starting to put Jesus' words into practice, the very first thing that we need to realize is that Jesus simply desires to be with us. He loves us. And he calls us to simply do life with him. And that brings us to the second thing that we learn from this passage. It says that Jesus called these disciples so that they might be with him and he might send them. So that they might be with him and that he might send them. I love this truth because what it's basically telling us is that if Jesus calls us, he's also going to go with us and to equip us. If Jesus calls us, he's going to go with us and equip us. You see, Jesus doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. There will be many times in which Jesus calls you to do something that you don't feel gifted for, something that is outside your, your comfort zone, something that is outside your wheelhouse, but Jesus' promise is, I will go with you and I will teach you how to do it. I will provide you with, uh, you with, uh, with what you need and I will not leave you alone. He promises to go with them to help them to live out that calling. And that's a promise that he then gives to us as well. If Jesus is calling you to something, know that he is, always, he is also willing to go with, it, uh, go, uh, with you through it. That's his promise. And again, I love this because I think this is actually how many of us learn. We learn best when we have someone who's there side by side with us showing us how to do it. Back to cross country for, for a moment. So after I, I finally had some time to heal and, and get over those shin splints, I did get back into to cross country. And I remember the very first practice that I had when I got back to the team. 
Uh, we, had, we were setting out for our run, uh, for our long run that, that day, and, um, and uh, typically what happens is, uh, you know, we take off, and at the front of the group is our, is our team captain, Rich Calvario. Now, Rich, Rich was an incredible runner. I have never seen a dude run a 5K faster than Rich Calvario could, and he was always at the front of the pack for our practices, kind of leading the charge as we, as we went on our runs. You guys, can you guess where I was? Yeah, I was in the back. That's usually where I was. I was just trying to keep up and make sure I didn't lose the team around the next turn. But on that practice, as I, as I started back up on that practice that very first day back, back in, uh, in, um, in the team, as I'm, as I'm running, at one point I look up and I notice something. Rich Calvario is not at the front. He's right next to me. He's running right alongside me. And, and as we're running, he, he will point to the ground next to him as we run, and he'll be like, right here. I want your feet right here. And as I would start to get tired, he would point again and he'd say, no, right here, you can do this. I want your feet right here. Just keep pace with me right here. And we got to like mile four and I've just like totally hit the wall, you know, and I think I can't do this anymore. And Rich says it. He's like, he's like you're, about, you're hitting the wall. I know you think you can't do it. You can. Feet right here. You can do this. And I ran eight miles that day with Rich. And as I continued with the team, Rich taught me a lot of things about running. He taught me what it meant to keep pace, to not overexert myself. He taught me how to stretch, the different kinds of training that I could do to build up my strength and my endurance. I was never as fast as Rich Calvario, but I did run the fastest mile that I'd ever run in the context of a race. I ran six minutes and 30 seconds. I never thought I would be able to do that. Eight minutes was good for me. And that was because Rich was willing to run side by side. I was able to do it because my captain ran with me. And the promise that Jesus is making is he's saying, look, if I call you to it, I'm going to run with you through it. I'm going to be side by side with you, showing you how to run this race well and providing you with everything that you need. Jesus delights in doing that. He wants to do that. And if he's calling you to it, know that he is also going to walk with you through it. That's his commitment to us as his disciples. You see, this is the most foundational thing that we can learn as we begin this journey together. Is that first and foremost, before we can serve, before we can give, before we can go, before we can forgive others, before we can do any of the things that Jesus calls us to do, we first and foremost need to learn simply how to be. How to be with him. Which is why I love what he invites us to in our other reading for this morning from John 15. Jesus says that this week is all about abiding. It's all about abiding. See, this is on the night when Jesus was betrayed. These are some of his final instructions to his disciples. He knows what they're going to face without him. And this is what he says. Some of the most important words he could speak to them. He says, uh, he says already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The most important bit of instruction Jesus can give to them is he's like, you have, anything you do has to flow from a place of abiding with me. 
He wants us to bear much fruit. That's our ultimate calling. That's our purpose. And what is the point of fruit? Well, the point of fruit is to deliver the seed to new places so that new life might grow. That is our mission. That's our calling, to deliver the seed of God's good news to new places so that new life might grow. That is our purpose, but we don't do that purpose unless we are connected to the vine, unless we learn how to abide, unless we learn how to receive the life-giving nourishment we require so that out of the overflow and abundance, we can give it away to others, which is why this first week is all about abiding with Jesus. He says, this is most important because if you understand this, you can face anything else that I will call you to in this mission and in this journey of life. If you know how to abide in me, if you know simply how to be with me, there is nothing else that I will call you to that you will not be able to do. In fact, I love what he says a little bit later on in that passage. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is saying, look, no matter what you face, no matter what challenges come against you, no matter which hardships, no matter how far out, your, out of your comfort zone I call you to go, you can do it. If you abide in me, you can ask for what you need and I will provide for you. If it's strength, I will give it. If it's the right words to speak, they will be provided. If it's wisdom and insight, it will be there in abundance. Just abide in me. Jesus' promise to be with us and to provide for us is a promise we know he can keep. We know he can keep it because of how far we see he's willing to go for those he loves. He was willing to go to a cross to die for us. He was willing to face death on our behalf, and not just that, but to rise again from the dead in glory, meaning that he's overcome sin and death. He's overcome the worst things that this world has possi could possibly throw at us. And so we know that when he says, nothing can separate you from my love, that he means it. And that he will go with us into whatever he calls us to. So our invitation this first week is simply to daily take time to be with Jesus. Our word for this week is being. Learning to simply be with the one who loves us. And so my encouragement to you this week is to not look at your daily readings as just 25 minutes that you have to get through. And not just to look at the challenges as things to check off your list, but to see each one of these as an invitation to simply spend time with the God who loves you. To receive his love and his grace, to be deeply nourished so that you might be prepared well when he sends you. Because if you can learn to be with him, you will then know what it means to abide in him no matter where you go. And no matter what he calls you to, because you know that he will always be by your side. And so it's to that end that I want to close in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks, Jesus, that you came into this world for us. To run alongside us, to show us how to do it, but ultimately to provide, us for, everything, uh, to provide for everything that we need. And that you were willing to go the distance. You were willing to die for us and rise again. Lord, we confess oftentimes we try to abide in other things. Things that just don't provide life. Things that just don't satisfy. And so this week, Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it truly means to abide in you. To just be with you. To receive everything that we need. And to come to know you for who you are. 
the true vine. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.